Welcome to Inspire and Innovate, a podcast for educators. We are educators and instructional coaches at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in beautiful Jackson, Mississippi. Our Inspire and Innovate movement seeks to make visible the expertise of teachers while also upping our game in conversation with other thought leaders. I'm Shay Egger and I work with early childhood and elementary school faculty to support the use of different teaching strategies and tools to foster real world learning experiences for students. I'm Toby and I teach fifth grade math I'm Julie Rust, and I work with middle and upper school faculty to explore the many ways we can cultivate learning experiences with youth to invite them into engagement with content, skills, and community. Y'all, teaching is hard, and it's never been harder than the past 11 months or so. That's why our first series is dedicated to investigating teaching in the time of COVID. Today, we welcome Julie Mountcastle, head of school and grade two and three teacher at Slate School, a K through 12 independent school located in North Haven, Connecticut. Julie has been a teacher for nearly 20 years and has taught every elementary grade and worked in both traditional and project-based classrooms. Passionate about reimagining elementary education, Julie has extended her collaborative and creative energy to every aspect of Slate School, including the development of the curriculum, the school and the building design, the integration of the arts into every day, the school's mission steeped in curiosity-driven education, and sharing that mission with the world. During this pandemic, through Slate School's Idea Lab, expert panels, and head of school blog, Julie has seized the opportunity to connect with a worldwide education community and advance the conversation around child-centered education. During our conversation, we discuss the topics of classroom community, student-led teaching strategies, classroom spaces that foster curiosity, and the importance of collaboration among colleagues. We hope you enjoy the conversation with Julie Mountcastle. Okay, we are ready to go. We are here today with Julie Mountcastle. Julie, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to join us today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited to be here. Very excited. Well, um, we're just going to have an informal conversation. We've got a series of questions for you. And first, um, I want you to tell us a little bit about your background and your experiences and specifically what led you to be passionate about reimagining schools and education more broadly? Because you are head of Slate School. Your title and your bio is truly amazing. So we're going to find out more about what you do day to day in a minute. But tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to be so passionate, like we said, about reimagining education. Well, um, I think in most things, I don't think you can point to, to one sort of inflection point that that leads you to something that you actually really find joy in. Uh, But I think it's a lot of different things. So um, like most people, I had a very traditional education and I I didn't find a lot of joy in that. I did not enjoy elementary school. I I bopped around a little bit. I got advanced a grade and then they decided that they don't advance kids a grade. So then I had to sit there for a whole year and kind of relearn everything I'd already learned. Um, I had a couple of years that were kind of project based. Um, And then when I got to high school, it was just completely not satisfying to me. Mm -hmm. And so I went to college early and, um, you know, that was a, an interesting sort of move. I'm not sure that 
I recommend that. I certainly discouraged my own children from that. Um, but if it did lead me here, I'm happy it did. Um, but all my life, I, I grew up knowing that I, I was a, a, a communicator, but I was a communicator um, in the theater. That's what I thought my area of expertise was. I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be an actress. Um, and so I, that, was what my, that was what my original degree was in. And uh, I worked in a lot of theater in Florida where I grew up. And then I moved to New York. And so when I was an actress in New York, I was incredibly fortunate. And um, I worked all the time. I, I, I say, I, I don't know how it happened, but I never had to wait on tables. I only did acting. I wow. only did theater uh, for the entire time I was in New York. I was incredibly fortunate. And then I got married and had children. And I said, good Lord, this is a terrible job for having babies. <laughs> I was in my dressing room in The Sound of Music on Broadway, and I was wow. crying because I couldn't put the baby to bed. Yep. And um, it was really, it, it was really a moment where I said, "Listen, the things that I've loved about the theater are making a difference, helping people to think about new ideas in ways that are non-threatening and thrilling, and learning from others." And now I have children of my own, so it seems really reasonable that I'm going to return to school and see what a life in education would be like. Can I? And that's oh. exactly what I did. Is this a, is this a similar story to someone else here? Anyone oh, else well, here? I think, no. I mean, maybe, sort of, kind of. I was just going to say... Uh, you you spoke. Shay, Shay has an amazing cute baby. As <laughs> I do have both, an amazing. Cute so baby. we both have uh, sort of among us, I guess, six kids, three and three, sort yeah, of, uh, yeah, collectively. Yeah. Um, and so certainly, well, what I know for so for me, I was in education always pre kid, and what I know is having my own children super shifted the way I thought about everything, right? The way I thought about what schooling is, the way I thought about my interactions with parents, the way I thought about sort of the system that produces, that reproduces and produces. So anyway, um, but I, the reason I jumped in, I'm sorry to kind of interrupt. I just, I I would love to hear more because you, you said the word about high school. You said you felt dissatisfied. And when you talked about your elementary experience, you also had another really interesting adjective that someone else may remember better than me. So I'm curious if you can give us a concrete, like, uh, memory or peace? Was it the fact that you were sitting in chairs all day? Was it the, the mach- you know, machine-like bell system? I mean, like, what what about it, whether it was high school or, or elementary, that what about it felt unsatisfied? And, and then on the converse, right, why, why did the stage feel like home? Oh, that's great. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think that I felt unseen. Mm. I felt like um, in, in, in every school I went to, except for one, um, I really felt like I was my IQ. I was my number. I was my score on the last test. I was how compliant I was Mm. in the classroom. I was a good girl. Um, and it, it just felt to me like there had to be something more. And when I got to high school and I had a couple of classes where I was asked to think for myself and I didn't really understand what that was because for so long I'd been in a spot where I was just trying to do what was asked of me. Of course. And um, I was not a good question asker. Um, and, and 
it seemed so it, it seemed so wrong to me because in the place where I felt at home, in the place where I felt comfortable in the theater, um, it was the questions mm. that yes. created the performance that was really meaningful. Yeah. And so it seemed so separate. And, you know, I was a kid. I thought, well, I'm going to be an actress. I don't need all this school business anyway. It doesn't really speak to me. And so I just began diving into the literature of the theater. Mm. And um, it's theater history that I learned history. It's through theater history. It's through working in the theater that I, that I you know, I really understand. I understood the world. And so um, for me, that, that, was as good a reason as any to want to transform the kind of education that my children were going to receive. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, having watched the videos, specifically those videos of the tour, the journey through Slate School, it is clear your passion comes through and the way the classrooms are designed and the student-centered learning and everything's inquiry-based. It's really fascinating. And it's, it's really cool to hear you talk about your journey and what led you to be so passionate. In looking and researching the school, it's also clear you wear so many hats. It says second slash third teacher, I believe, <laughs> head of school. What? You're a thought leader, a panel <laughs> organizer, so many things, Julie. And we, we love the resources that come from Slate School as well. I mean, you really, you make so many resources available to the community. Um, how do you fit it all in? Tell us about a day in your life what does a day look like well I'm so lucky I am like I'm like I think a, a very few and probably you three might be some of them people who actually really love their work so much that it doesn't really feel like work um I know some of you know Jennifer Staple Clark who's the founder of Slate School yes Jennifer and I come into school at seven o'clock in the morning for what we call infinity fun cool. <laughs> and and we just get together and do our sort of planning and um, thinking about the upper school and sort of um, work toward panels and things like that in the morning before school starts. Mm-hmm. And then at around 8.15, I sort of shift and get myself wow. ready for the day. Um, I'm so lucky uh, because um, I do have incredible people that I work with all the time. And um, at Slate School, we don't plan alone. We don't work Mm -hmm. alone. Um, So in advance of the day, I've written sort of my thoughts loosely on a Google Doc. And then all of the other educators on the campus, and of course, there are really only six right now, but there will be more. um, Those six have all chimed in on the document and they've given me great ideas of other things, other other paths toward um, following the children's curiosity. So if I said today, um, I'm really, the kids are really fascinated by time right now. Mm-hmm. We've been having a lot of conversations about time. What is time? What's, what is it? What does it matter? Why do we follow clocks? What is daylight saving time? What about all those you know, adages like, you know, a watched pot never boils, um, time flies when you're having oh. fun? <laughs> what is this 
continuum of time. And so I put that on the dock and then, you know, I've got somebody telling me I've, I've got a great song about time. I've got a great idea about something that you could do outside, a big activity you could do in the piney woods, watching the clouds. Another person had an idea about um, a great, a great read aloud. And so, um, I kind of call through those things, decide what the day is going to look like with my um, associate teacher. And then, you know, we sort of launch into the whole day where I forget everything else that I do, except for, you know, just be with kids, wow. just with the kids. Um, so, you know, we, we do all the ordinary things. And I'm going to, I think we'll talk a little bit later, I hope, about, about what it looks like to have a day here in Slate School. Yes. But then at, at three o'clock, I, I write something called the Daily Buzz, which is, you know, four or five paragraphs sort of sharing with families what happened in the day. Because in a school like Slate School, you have to be extra transparent because, you know, chances are the children are going to go home and when asked, about what they did in school, they're gonna say, you know, we played, it was regular. That was my favorite one from my kids. It, it was, was normal. regular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, so, and so parents really need to see because there's no worksheet in the backpack. Right. There's no spelling test on a Friday. And so you have to be extra transparent. So we write four or five paragraphs telling, telling families what we did that day. And then I write my loosely, you know, curated thoughts uh, based on what happened today thinking about tomorrow. And then I, I go over and meet up with Jennifer at about 3.45 and um, we have a little bit more infinity fun. Infinity fun. Three, three, three days a week, we also have, um, we have time as a faculty, which is great during that afternoon block. So um, because we do plan so collaboratively, it is it is pretty important that, that we're hearing what's happening in all the rooms. So we have time for that. Too. That sounds utopian. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I just have to ask quickly um, before Toby has a really good follow-up question. But I, one thing, so one thing that this podcast is about, this particular series, we're really, really interested in thinking about teaching in this particular moment and how the pandemic has shifted and reaffirmed and everything, right? The good and the bad and the horrible. And so one follow-up question I have to sort of that really like collaborative day you just described, right? Like dream day. And the three of us work really well and closely together and, and love that aspect of our jobs as well. What would you say to the classroom teacher that's listening to this that is in a school environment that maybe isn't so collaborative? Maybe it's not built, um, for example, for there to be an associate teacher and maybe um, there there isn't a colleague that you know that you're having infinity time with every day you know how how can how can teachers in you know our state or our surrounding areas get something out of what you just described and and, and take a piece of that and, and incorporate that, that collaborative piece into their day so I, I think I think there are a couple of ways I, I do think that in any school you can find your people and I think we gravitate toward each other you know, it might be, you know, at the beginning, just a, a, a sidelong glance in the hallway. Uh, somebody says something, they're passing by, or um, somebody's playing music before school starts. And, you know, you really, really find their, their jams, like really like yours. Um, but finding a partner, finding a buddy, and it doesn't have to be somebody that you communicate with constantly, but somebody you could share your plans with. Um, I know, um, 
here we do have a good situation where we can watch each other teach. We have a lot of good opportunities to be with each other, and that's probably the same at your school. But I think even in, in the two public schools that I taught in before I taught here at Slate, um, when I asked if that was possible, it was generally made possible. So it's, it's a simple thing, um, maybe, to find somebody that you trust. And then, again, to take that step to ask um, the administration, just say, you know, listen, I really trust Ben, and I would love for Ben to just be able to come across the hall and watch this lesson that I'm, I've, I've prepared. And I know he's going to take great notes on my interactions with students, and he's going to see some things that I miss. And um, I'd like to then have an opportunity to do that with Ben. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. And then I guess the other way, and I, and I feel bad that I didn't mention this before, when I think about collaboration in the classroom, I think my number one collaborators are my students, right. yeah. the, the learners. Yeah. And so I think building your ability to collaborate with kids is a really powerful way to build your, collab your collaborative skills with adults. So um, it doesn't cost anything to offer kids the opportunity to do their own personal project. You could spend 30 minutes of class every two or three days and just say, you know what, we've got a little time here today. I want to give you the opportunity to work on your personal projects. So get your things out, you know, get your resources or we've got this time to go to the library and then just follow their curiosity because collaborating with what they are bringing to their personal project enriches the whole room. So those are my two things okay. that I think, um, I think everybody can do. Find a buddy and squeeze in some personal project for, for the kids mm. and, and have, one, have one of your own. Have one of your own. Thank you. Oh man, yeah, I'm just, Oh, I feel like we're such kindred educational spirits, and I, I, so everything you're saying, I'm just go. I'm like, it's like I'm in church right now. Just like, amen. <laughs> amen. Um, How have they kept us apart so long? Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's um, a crime. <laughs> so, uh, the more I've looked at your website, the more I just want to learn about Slate School, and I'm wondering if you could use this platform as a way to explain. Uh, more of the philosophy. It's kind of more familiar to me as 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 a dirty left coast like uh, hippie um, insurgent who who was then moved. Uh, so I feel like I kind of get it. But for our broader audience in general, can you kind of just go over the philosophy and how it plays out in the way that you design the classrooms and even the way that you approach curriculum? Um, okay, so that's a huge question, and I'm <laughs> going to try my best. Um, so we're trying to do more than one thing here. And um, and so sometimes when I talk about this, I think, okay, what order should I put them in? Mm -hmm. Because there, there really isn't a hierarchy. And so maybe that's what I'll start with. Um, we believe that children should be able to speak in all of the languages. They should be able to communicate mathematically. They should be able to communicate by writing, by reading, by speaking, by singing by dancing, if that's right for them, through the theater, through Spanish, through science, across history. These are all critical languages for kids, but we don't silo them, we don't separate them. Um, 
There's an example of a student here who studied jellyfish and at the conclusion of her project topic, when asked how she was going to express what she'd learned, she said, I've written something, but I'm actually going to dance it. Yes. <laughs> and the dance of the jellyfish just made so much more sense than anything else. So just as we don't preference those languages one over the other, I don't think we preference any part of our mission over the other. Mm. So in no particular order, um, we are a student and learner-led school. We are teaching everything, every skill, every all knowledge through the lens of a student's passion project. So if you came in, Toby, and you said you wanted to study butterflies, and Julie, you said you wanted to study dinosaurs, Definitely. and Shay, you said you wanted to study Australia. Yes. I would be like, raise the roof, let's get going. <laughs> and I'm going to teach all of you how to read using those books. We're going to do math. We're going to understand language of of number and marvel at its complexity and its beauty and its elegance. And we're gonna follow your project topic all the way through with your curiosity, asking and answering questions using books and humans only, really. And you are gonna lead me to what you need to learn. <laughs> so that's part of it. The other part, is that we believe that nature is the master teacher. And so everything that, everything that you study in the world has a connection to something else in nature. So anything that can be taught in the classroom can be taught outdoors. And um, that is a critical part of how our school looks. Um, so, Along with those two things, we're trying to build in students the ability to know themselves as a learner and to um, build their capacity for recognizing their ideal learning environment and to give them the agency to use it. So if little Becky says to me, Mrs. Mountcastle, um, I'm just really feeling anxious right now. I feel like I need to be outside reading. Then the doors are open and I want her to go outside and read. Um, and, and so we're building this ability in children to understand what they need. Um, that is super so, revolutionary, by the way, right? Yeah, just, this notion of I want to read during class. <gasps> or like keep coming back to your idea of communication, right? <laughs> just knowing what, knowing your wants and be able to tell other people that. I mean, it takes knowing us all so long to figure that out. And advocating for self. Knowing what you need. Yeah. Knowing what you need. You're exactly right. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. Yes. I mean, I think at 57, I'm still working on oh, it. Oh, yeah, I, I still can't say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still working on that. Um, so I would say the last piece is that the arts aren't extra here. And so um, as part of that earlier piece where we believe that um, we don't want to preference one language over another. We, we definitely want children to be able to experience the joy of the arts and how it can enrich and, and make life oh so very much better. So those are the, those are the big missions 
of the school and just the idea that we want to make that affordable for any learner. So, um, you know, our school is 100% need blind and we meet 100% of demonstrated financial aid. So this extraordinary education um, can be available to anybody. And that's different up here. Mm -hmm. It's different. So I probably missed 10 things. No, I, I was just being enraptured by the idea of a jellyfish dance and or, or a song. Or I'm sure your kids are the type of kids who are just like, we're going to write a play about this thing we've been researching. Like, because this makes sense to me. That's how we need to present it. Well, I have to say I've had, I used to teach college and I've had education students dance their final before. So that is very familiar to my, (laughs) we would do multi-genre finals and um, totally the best, right? And what's interesting that I think about with those sorts of approaches, right, is going to be connected to your next question, which is some of my students loved those opportunities, right, and thrived and immediately knew this is my thing, this is my passion, right, for my jellyfish. And whereas other students would say, well, I don't know, right? What do I do? So, that, I mean, that's, that's going to be sort of a second piece of this question, but uh, I don't know if you have quick answers. Or perhaps, because Slate School starts so young, right, we could say that what I'm seeing at the middle and high school level is sort of the, re- the result of, of a cycle of sort of what schooling has become. Um, do you see that with the, the, the yeah, I mean, do, do you see that with young kids? Do you see the, this set of like, wait, I don't, I don't know enough about the world to even know my passion, you know, how do you promote that balance of background knowledge and sort of exciting uh, exposure and then also to follow passion? Well, sure. Um, and, and I don't think, um, I don't think, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, I'm not, I'm not sure that the actual big passion really um, in, in many kids is, is exposed at that point. I don't think it's emerged yet. Yeah. But, you know, when we're talking about, you know, they choose four or five different projects each year. So by the time you're in third grade, you've done, you've had a lot of experiences. And not only have you had your own experiences, but you've, you know, sat in the classroom and learned from all of your colleagues there in every project presentation or in every, you know, collaborative moment in the classroom, making connections with other disparate topics. Um, you've learned, uh, you've, you've learned a lot about a lot of different things. And so I think it makes it more likely for a child in that situation to, and it, it might be stumble upon it, stumble upon the thing that really works for them. Um, but I have seen kids who, from the very big beginning, will say, you know, no, I'm, I, I had, I had the, I had the privilege of teaching in a school where I taught in K one, and then I taught again in four five, and I had some of the same students, mm. and I had, I had a little fella named James, and James loved dolphins, and he would study dolphins as many times as he oh, could, yeah. <laughs> and um, when he got to fourth grade, I had him again, and he was still into dolphins. But at this point, he could talk about dolphins in ways um, to explain what he understood about um, trickle-down economics. Mm, wow! <laughs> so you know, he was the great—he was the perfect example of the child who knew so much about something that they he could connect it to anything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Uh, there are kids who, who, who wander around for a while until they find something, mm -hmm. but, but it, it, it does happen. It, it does happen. Children do find their, their sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I found while I was poking around on your website was, and I love just the intentionality of everything at Slate is so apparent to me. Um, and none more so than what we're looking for, your section of what we're looking for in students, but also in families. And I just wanted to, to hear from you. Have you had a case where you were looking at a great student fit and then the family needed to be further educated in some way or to, to make the whole thing fit or whether you've run into that very much? Because uh, I know also your school is still kind of growing, so. Yes. Well, um, it, it's funny. I think we, I think we would have run into that more, um, but the sort of the, the trajectory for the admissions process for us is very family heavy before we even meet the child. So um, we're trying to guard against actually the child, you know, having some feeling like they did something wrong oh, yeah. and it actually has nothing to do with them. Um, but, but. Um, I have had interviews with families. I've read the application and it all seems fantastic and and I'm I'm excited about it and and we sit down to have the first conversation and they're they're really only interested in something new and shiny. Mm. They like the outdoors um but they have concerns about, you know, well, you know, what is the curriculum like? What it, Will, will they ever take a spelling test? How will they ever transition to another school if they don't know this or if they don't know that? And what about that big book of knowledge that needs to be imparted to children between the ages of five and 12? And how are they gonna get that? And I, and I just know that um, no matter what we do, no matter how happy that child is, it only takes one time for them to go home and have their parents say, well, Where's your math worksheet? And why don't you know this algorithm at age five? Or... <laughs> and so, so it's just very frustrating. But then you have to say, I, I just am. And in that moment, I just say to the families, I say, I don't think this is the school for you because I don't think that you would ultimately be satisfied. And if you are not satisfied, you don't love this kind of education. It's not going to work well. Right. So I just say it. I, I've gotten kind of old. I think the first year I was like this, um, nervous, biting my nails. But after that, I realized that I was doing nobody any favors mm -hmm. to invite them into a community where they're not going to be satisfied. That's right. Well, and I think that's something, again, I'm constantly trying to think about, okay, classroom teacher in Mississippi, right, or anyone that's listening to this podcast, what are, what are some takeaways, right, even if I, I'm not shaping the direction of my own school, and I think the importance of communicating your philosophy, right, in your microcosm of your classroom and, and front-loading that. I sure learned that lesson when I was, you know, 21, my first year teaching middle school, and then I just sort of assumed that parents would all pick up on my amazing student-centered, <laughs> totally wild, revolutionary philosophy, and shockingly, they didn't. Like, you know, my one, my 30 seconds in the back-to-school night, it wasn't enough, and what I found is exactly what, it's so similar, right, what, what, what parents need 
is consistent communication that is qualitative in nature, not the grades on the thing. They need a newsletter that the kids are writing, they, and they need it to come out every week or, gosh, every day sounds amazing, right? And so, and that's how you build partners, and that's how you, you really, you know, start to cultivate a, a real philosophy sort of too of what you're doing. So, um, well, okay, this is the, fun, I get the fun question, you're, and I know you're ready for this too because this is, this is where your heartbeat is too. So regular life in the day of a second grader at Slate School, we want to hear all about like what, what does it look like? And again, because the series is a little bit about the pandemic as well and how that has shifted some things, we'd love mm-hmm. to also hear if there are, for example, differences now than there would be hopefully in one year or, you know, when, so, so whatever, um, if there are differences, um, you know, we'd love to hear those as well. So I'm going to start with that, if that's okay. Great. I, I would say for us, um, the, the biggest difference is we, we, we jumped into finding ways to make it possible to be outside more. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's fine in the fall and the spring and it was all easy Uh-oh. and the, yeah. the, we knew the winter was coming and um, this was a pretty intense winter. We had a lot of snow this year. Um, but in advance of that, um, we, we, we got these briefcases for the kids, these plastic briefcases. And huh. so at the, at the, at the top of the day, and, and you'll hear this when I describe, I'm actually going to describe today. Oh, great. Great. Um, but at the top of the day, we just sort of say, here are some of the environments that we're going to visit today. Oh. Here's what you might need in your box. Get your box ready. And so then they pack up all of the things that they need for the day. And then that just travels with them. So fun. And so, you know, traditionally they have with them their personal reading book. They have something we call the everything journal. Um, They have a variety of writing instruments. They have colored pencils, scissors, probably some kind of string. That seems to be a a popular piece. Um, And I think that's it. You know, just those things. They have a water bottle and a hat and things like that. So I'll just describe to today. Um, so when the kids arrive, um, we have flexible drop-off so they can arrive between 8.30 and, and 9.10 or so. And when they come into the classroom, we have um, just around the room things we call enticements. So today um, uh, there was just a, an encouragement for them to take their uh, goals and commitments and organize them. Um, every week we, we um, create a goal and a commitment mm. in the classroom. So the kids come in and they say what they want to be able to do. And then they make a public commitment about what they're going to do to get there. So oh. it can be, I want to do a better cartwheel. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I might say, I'm going to do five cartwheels every day. Um. And everybody says, awesome, we'll hold you to it. <laughs> and then at the end of the week, we celebrate how many times you were able to com- complete the commitment not really whether you made it to the goal or not. But oh, so I, I think it's so important for kids to look back over the year and see the trajectory of what their goals and commitments have been and whether they sort of fit into those overarching goals that they had for the whole year. So periodically we notice that their goals and commitments look a mess. So we say, just let's, let's go back everybody and kind of collect those, put them in order, see where you've been, see where you're going paper clip them and have them set yourself. So we did that today. Um, and then um, because we were coming back and, and before we went out, we read an incredible book called um, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. Spectacular mm-hmm. book. 
And the kids really loved it. And so we focused a lot on on the small moments that this character mm. Minley had throughout the book. And so when they came back, we said, you know, write your small moment story about about something that happened over the break. So they've been working on those. So those were out. We offered um, some interesting um, kinds of tools for adding uh, illustration today. Then we had a bit of a science experiment out. We left out a few things over the break, potato, sliced potato, <laughs> apple, mm. and we did some photographing of those things. And uh, we had some observations to do today about that. So they had some opportunity to mess with those and sniff them and, and do things like that. And then we <laughs> talked about the number of the day. Today is number, today's day number 111, oh. which is a really That's interesting a number. number. And so um, they were getting all over that number, thinking about ways to make that number, what kind of number it was, um, why is it a powerful number, is it a powerful number, and then they signed the morning message. And the question today was, what have you done recently that took a long time that seemed to take only a second? So then they wrote a little response to that. And when they finished all of those things, they could read. We came together then um, when everyone had a finished feeling and we had a morning meeting, which we followed that responsive classroom model mm -hmm. um, for the morning meeting, same components every day, which is really helpful on Thursdays because Thursdays we do the whole morning in Spanish. Oh, wow. And they know the components of the morning so well that the vocabulary starts to flow really, really nicely from that. So we had share, we had, we had a greeting, we shared, we had an activity where we were using solfege to sing a song that, you know, popped up over the last few days. And then we read the message together, talked about, you know, what we were going to do in the day. And um, then we did a little uh, talking about breathing. And how you know infants are so much better at breathing than adults. Oh, so thinking about baby breathing and how you know the person in the room with the most power is the person who can control their breath. Mm -hmm. So we just talked about that and breathing. So after that, we had a snack, and during snack, we chose our project topics, and then we read a fantastic book called Hike. You ever read it? Mm -mm. No. It's uh, it's a wordless book, mm. and it is um, it's one of those books that you might say it's you know it's just about a hike, or it's it's just a book about an adventure with a father and a son, and then as you read it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. And so it's a wordless book, and so the kids were you know really into talking about what they were seeing and and wondering about the about what the text would be or what the thoughts of the characters would be. So then after we read that, um, we headed outside. And they had opportunities for different tools for drawing and writing and sketching about spring because it's really so beautiful here today. And then they just did their work, uh, their work of, of playing. Um, there are a lot of kitchens out in the piney woods right now. There's a lot of cooking. There are garlic chives that are growing wild in the grass. And so there was a lot of green soup today. Delicious. Um, there was a lot of observing of the birds today because they're actually coming back. The red-winged blackbird is all over the place. And then um, we have a spot out there called the stick, which is a, a tree that has a huge limb that's fallen down that they've turned into all sorts of different habitats for themselves and for others. And there was a lot of work on the stick today. 
oh, and then there's rehabilitation of the garden happening. So um, they were out there with, with that work for quite a while. And uh, my associate teacher and I were just trying to teach into whatever was coming up. Um, there were some there were some things found that seemed historical today, which was great. So we could talk about the past in the on the property that it had been a farm. Hmm. Um, so there was a lot of good work happening outside, a lot of good collaboration. We were in for lunch, but we didn't come in. We had lunch outside, and we had a really good question today. We were talking about um, if a robot gets one new part. Is it still the same robot? <laughs> and oh, if the robot got all new identical parts, would it still be the same robot? Oh man! There's a lot of really deep philosophical conversation today. That was a question <laughs> by a student, I assume. At lunch, it was posed by a student. Okay, yeah. So um, it was a it was a pretty Love it was it. a pretty heavy lunch, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> after that, there was independent reading time outside, and um, we were talking. We're getting a new classroom for this this class. This class is two three this year. Next year there'll be three four, and we're opening a new building, a new classroom building. And so the students are designing the furniture um, cool. and deciding what we need: benches, chairs, tables how things should work. And so today we were talking a little bit about that new space. And then we headed down to the pond where we were looking at the algae. We're having a little bit of an algae bloom there, talking about what that's like. So the discussion came up that um, algae would be a good project topic and maybe that could be a whole class project concurrent with their personal projects. Mm -hmm. So they wrote, they observed, they drew, and they wrote about the pond they did a few experiments. They skipped a lot of rocks. <laughs> and um, then we headed back up here to take care of our classroom and have a closing circle, a little reflection, and then head home. I want to be a second grader at Sorry. Slate School. Oh, oh man, right. sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, I mean, I think that, like, there were elements. First of all, I think so many words keep coming to my mind in terms of, like, oh, that's Montessori language, that's Waldorf, oh, that's um, writing workshops, she's drawing on, you know, Lucy Calk, like... We stole from everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, there's there's some Gunther Kress about multimodality and following students' interests for assessment. Anyway, I, like all of these names, and I, I'd be interested, and we'll have a question later about a book you would recommend, but I'd be interested on, you know, who you read and, and what you're drawing on, and, and of course a beauty piece of this is that you aren't citing various things, right? That you're sort of yourself articulating them, but boy... I'm drawing on so many things. Well, quickly, I think many of those aspects that you've described, right, could happen in a very, very well-funded school or in a school that's maybe not so well-funded. I, 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 like, so much of it was connected to the outdoors, and so that's a piece that I think is, is difficult in terms of access for all of our teachers. All of our teachers don't have access to space uh, to explore that's a physical space and an equal measure um, so that that's that's a, a little bit of a tricky piece but not to say that it's impossible but I wonder if you could speak to not just uh, teachers that are in, in possibly schools with with less luscious uh, natural space but also schools that are again in more sort of traditional systems and, and, and structures and how you would recommend that classroom teacher that's listening, that's like, yes, 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 this is everything I believe, this is what I want school to be, this is why I entered the field in the first place. 
how can we kind of scooch our way um, this direction, uh, you know, as a third grade teacher and maybe a little bit more of a traditional structure? Do you have any suggestions for that? Well, sure. And I think it kind of builds on what I was talking about before uh, about trying to work project in and trying to find a buddy. Um, I think um, I think in schools, the hallway is a really powerful place. And um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of uh, activities that can stretch the brains of students just in the hallway. Um, how tall is a giant sequoia? Mm. Well, the tiles on the floor in the hallway are about one foot each. How many tiles would it take? How far would it go? Can we stretch a string? And now after we stretch the string all the way, can we see how many classes it takes if everybody's laying head to foot out there? You know, we'll do it right at the end of lunch, right? We'll come back five minutes early. We won't miss any educational time, but we'll actually be able to take a photograph yeah. of two classes of students laying head to foot in the hallway, <laughs> trying to match the height of a giant sequoia. You know, that's a day a kid never forgets. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a day where, you know, they start to think about measurement in a way that is personal, mm. You know, and, and is reasonable. Like, yeah, I'm looking at that tree over there and I'm thinking that's like, you know, four Beckys and two Sams. You know? <laughs> yeah. And and suddenly, you know, they have a new vocabulary for thinking about the world. You know, we're always trying to think of ways for children to be able to make knowledge personal. Well, um, that comes through in that day you described. And yeah. the other piece that comes through is how every single aspect of that day as an adult I found intriguing and engaging and I think we forget that as humans we are curious and if it's not interesting to me as an adult teacher in this space it's probably not that juicy of a question it's probably not that engaging of an activity it's probably just because it's in a, in a workbook doesn't mean it's appropriate for second grade and it seems to me that you start with this general rule of a question and the question needs to be a question that anyone that's human <laughs> generally, right? That's like alive and breathing would be like interested in thinking right. about. Um, and then the students learn how to, of course, themselves pose those questions. So you're not the question poser, but anyway, I, I think that that really came through. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, in this particular podcast series, we've tried to tie everything back to this unique historical moment in time as well. And so um, I'm wondering how has the past year possibly shifted or reaffirmed your school's uh, commitments to teaching young children? It's clear that y'all were ahead of the game on the outdoor spaces and reimagining spaces all around the school. A lot of us are coming out of the pandemic realizing, yes, we need to reimagine the spaces we have um, we were forced to do that in the pandemic. But for you all, how has um, how has it reaffirmed or shifted some of your commitments and philosophies? Well, sure. I mean, the outdoors is an important part here, and it has helped us in that way. But I think actually, um, I think it's given us a greater compassion toward each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I think... Um, you know, when the when, when the pandemic happened and and we were we were going to be out of school and we were going to be relying on Zoom for community, yeah. and and it was just so 
I don't know, it was, it was overwhelmingly wrong mm -hmm. in my head. I could, yeah. it was really hard for me to yeah. think about how we were going to do this because we knew that we weren't going to put kids in front of a screen for, for the whole day. We knew that that, that our kids weren't, weren't going to be able to do that. That wasn't going to be right for us. And so, um, so finding that balance of, of what is it in a day that's really essential and then sort of finding ways to distill that to children while being compassionate for whatever's happening in each household. We would come into, we, you know, I felt like it was such an incredible honor every morning to be invited into everybody's household for morning meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't get to see, you know, little Timmy in his pajamas, you know, with his <laughs> little Oreos in front of him, you know, his mother padding around behind. I mean, it, it was, it was invasive. All and of the pets, now, all of the pets, pets. Everyone. Yeah, all the pets, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, coming, you know, somebody walking through the house with their computer, with their iPad, you know, whatever, because we, we're just not a big technology school. We're not a big tech-driven school. Mm -hmm. And so seeing how families made that work and, and also seeing how families said, listen, this is not going to work for us. And then having to adjust, having to find ways to give that sort of one-to-one -one mm. personal education that we're, we're focused on here um, to kids across, across the computer. And it really did ask us to think deeply about what was important. Yeah. And I think, that we're, I think that we're cellularly changed by that. And I think we're changed, um, I think we're changed in a lot of really good ways. And so I don't, I, I don't want to minimize the damage of, of what's happened to our friends and families and people all over the world. But on, on some afternoons, I do have to be grateful. Yes. Because were it not for COVID, we wouldn't know these things so well about ourselves. We wouldn't have been forced to grow in uncomfortable ways. Mm -hmm. And we also would never have started the Education Idea Lab because we didn't have time. And um, oh. because of that, we have been able to learn from people that we never would have had contact with or, or might not have had contact with for years and mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I was daily shocked at the people that would return my call um, because we were all home yeah. and looking at <laughs> what we were doing. And eager, yeah, eager for collaboration and connection with other passionate yeah. professionals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I also think that coming back, every child, every educator here, and probably every child and every educator everywhere um, feels so much more grateful for just the opportunity to be together. Um, so I think that there have been a lot of really good things that we've learned from COVID yeah. and Thanks. I'm just going to leave it right there. Well, that sinks, I think with a lot of our experiences yes. as well. Well, I know we're running out of time, so I'll just say briefly, this is also a large, really separate question, but just really briefly, we have to hit this fact that you're opening an upper school and you alluded to it earlier. You're working on some ideas right now in that amazing infinity fun. time. Infinity fun. Yes. Infinity fun. And I think so often all of, so, so my background's in literacy, all early childhood literacy and lower elementary literacy study work 
centers on all these ideals. I mean, you are just textbook literacy, new literacy studies. This is your, your philosophy is everything. However, what we find in, in schools and also in, in academia is that the older kids get and the older the research becomes, right, um, the youth centering that research, the, the less often we turn toward or are able to actually implement these more student-centered, play-based, inquiry-driven, all the things we know that are so good, right? Um, they seem to just like live in pre-K mostly, really. I mean, what you're doing is bringing that. Yeah, so you're right. I can't no, wait right. to hear about what you're thinking and any details you want to share. It may be, you know, I know it's coming, I think, 2023. So, um, but I'm sure you're already doing lots of thinking and planning. And how does, what does play look like? What is student-centered when, when you're dealing with folks that have, you know, gone through puberty, right? We know that not all play is innocent, not even with second and third graders. And, um, often, in fact, play is subversive, particularly as kids hit adolescence. And it can be dangerous and it can actually reinforce inequity in interesting ways, right? And, and that's why schools have become so tight and regulated. It's not just that we're all monsters and want to, like, beat the joy out of children. It's that we want them to be safe, right? And the more freedom you give kids, they make mistakes. They make mistakes. When they make mistakes with 30 other students in the room, it's complicated, right? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what are you thinking about upper school? Um, uh, but, but I think so I had, a, I had a mentor, her name was Ann Kyler, and she used to say, when things are going sideways, step back. Mm. Don't step in. Step back. And, you know, I'm not encouraging people to be in dangerous situations and not intervene, but I'm saying, you know, watch the kids. Mm. They're going to tell you what they need. And um, as, as an educator, sometimes you have to be brave enough not to intervene, not to step in, to kind of see where things are going and find out what the issue is, and then and then talk, and then listen. Listen first, and then talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm always, I always marvel when I think about, you know, the statement. Well, that you're not going to get away with that in sixth grade. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, they're not going to put up with that at the high school. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you better get in line. That's you know? right. That's and right. it's almost this idea that we tell kids that as they grow more capable, we're going to squeeze them tighter. Yeah. And I think that that leads to a, a just a devaluing of themselves mm -hmm. as humans. And if we devalue ourselves as humans, then why would we make good choices? We've already been told that yeah. we don't know what to do and that we need somebody else to tell us all the time. So that's at the base of it. But I will say that, you know, we feel like um, there will be time in every day for every student to have a personal project. So we don't abandon that. Great. We believe that education um, uh, should not be siloed. And so all of the classes are interdisciplinary. Um, and, you know, we've looked at a bunch of schools and, and we love this idea of studies of things like water mm -hmm. and food yeah. and how those kinds of topics can be fed by all different disciplines. So, you know, there's, there's elements of, of science, there's elements of history, there's elements of social justice, um, and then there's communicating and there's always a problem. You know, there's always something that could be better in the world. And so um, all of those pieces working together. I think the thing that we really are, are trying to reconcile is the assessment piece mm. and making sure that assessment stays authentic in the upper school and yet is, is able to be um, 
is able to be expressed in ways that other people can understand and hear and see the value. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I would love to talk to you guys about how you do that, what your what your thoughts are about assessment and how you how you share learning with other people um, ac across the across the board with other teachers, with uh, with other schools, with families and with students. I mean, I think one of the things that we're getting at is the reflection piece yeah. is often missing yes. in in the upper school um, situations. And so we're trying to, we're trying to continue sort of the idea of, of the goals and commitments that kids begin at age five and just look at where that can go. Just try to see what the trajectory of, of that practice could be. Um, and we're just reading a thousand things and trying to listen and talk to everybody we can talk to because um, so much of what we've done here has been on the shoulders of schools like yours, schools like the Birches, and schools all over the world where, um, you know, people have shared with us their most brilliant mistakes mm -hmm. and <laughs> what works for them. And, and we've, we've been able to kind of avoid a few things like that. Mm -hmm. and, and we hope to continue to, to do that. Well, we will be eagerly awaiting watching. I mean, and watching and seeing where you land. Um, lots of interest in sort of this question of, of how are we communicating learning. And, um, you know, we are, we are in a particular geographical region, right, where um, in many ways it's harder um, to get outside of sort of more traditional structures. So we're operating in pretty traditional structures, but I still think we have figured out some interesting ways and are continuing to talk about, I know in the middle school particularly right now, mm. how do we communicate learning to parents in ways that is not just uh, 98 on a exam, right? And yes. Yes. thinking about yes. audio comments and, you know, ways to, 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 to make it possible and not odiously exhaust, right? It would be great if we could all write narrative reports on every student every day. That would be the ideal. <laughs> and, then, right. and then send those right. out. But, yeah. Right. We are, I'm, we're terribly out of time. We would, would love to talk all day. No, do we want to just shoot for our last yes. two questions? We, yes. So we have two questions we ask every guest, and they're quick and, and fun. Tell us, <laughs> Julie, who was your favorite teacher growing up and why? I hope you had one. We've heard you had a rough experience. Yeah, but you also like had some you were good, failed. <laughs> or maybe, yeah, I don't know. I can't say that I had a favorite teacher when I was a kid, but oh. I will tell you that the, the, the teacher that taught me the most is a student that I had in fourth grade. Oh. His name was Grant Grotsky. Oh. And he taught me that um, he taught me that learning looks different for every human, mm. and the act of learning looks different. So somebody might look like they're doing nothing, yes. and then um, present a project that just you know blows your mind. Yeah. And so um, that was a really important thing for me to learn. Of course you would flip that and pick a yes. student. Of course you would. Brilliant. You should have seen that coming. You should have seen that coming. I love it. Uh, yeah, my question is um, more along the lines of if you could make sure every educator read a book and, and kind of like got it, what book would that be? Because obviously you have a very excellent vision of how things should go. So... Well, you know, I, I actually, you know, it's so hard for me to pick, honestly. Mm. Um, but I think I'm going to grab something. Let me just grab my Ooh, little pop visual. Now, now, I like now it. Now we're talking. Um, 
it's going to seem so crazy, but this is the book. It's called Do What You Do. do. And it's a really simple, it's a simple board book, really. um, It it has a lot of brilliant quotes in it. And it it basically says, never, never, never settle. Mm. Always reach for the thing that gives you the most joy. Mm. Because, um, because I think as an educator, it's too easy to get comfy doing what somebody else has told you is important. And I feel like, the only thing, the only thing that has brought me real joy as an educator is staying on the path of, of, of doing the work that, that really feels right to me and makes me happy. So never, never settle. Do what you love. Love what you do. And then if you have time, I'm reading this other great book called The Grapes of Math. Yes. Oh. Toby, yes, eh? Yes, that's like that's a beat Virginia Buchanan oh. favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I better, I better Alex read Bellis. that. So it's so brilliant. It's I, so brilliant. I haven't I, read I it can... all, but it has been given to me. Yes, I've read bits and pieces. I need to get back into that. Yep. Well, it's great. I could just open to a page and be like, "Wow, yeah. <laughs> Oh, amazing." Well, amazing. And I don't know about you too, but I have some goals and commitments to write after this conversation. And my first one is to pursue, pursue joy and pursue uh, what we know is best. You're exactly right. And that, that comes through. It's not uh, so difficult perhaps uh, to, to, to kind of start back and step back and think about whether we're a classroom teacher or an administrator or instructional coach and wherever, you know, wherever we are, whether in Mississippi or the East coast or the Dirty, what did you call it? The dirty, dirty west. Dirty, dirty west. hippie west. Dirty, coast, dirty yeah. hippie west. Wherever we are, right, we can step back and we can reevaluate and we can say, wait, why did I get into this? And, 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 and as a child, I love that you began there, right, with as a child, what was I lacking or what was I, of course, like enriched by? And, and then how can I create that for kids, right, you know, or youth or whoever yeah. I'm teaching, um, I feel I'm ready, guys. Yes. Energized. I, I need yes. I need some commitments to do that. Well, so we can be we'll each other's commitment accountability uh-huh. partners uh-huh. at the morning meeting. We'll have we'll have a little meeting yeah. check in every day about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I'll, and passion projects coming up. So. And infinity fun. I think we need to steal that <laughs> for, all for all of our meetings. Yeah. Infinity fun. <laughs> this infinity was fun. I love that. This was so great, Julie. We appreciate you taking time out Thank of your you. day. Um, we hope listeners feel just as in, energized as we do having talked to you in person today or virtually but thank you so much for being here we know you're incredibly busy and we appreciate it yeah thank well, you so my much absolute pleasure i'm so happy to put faces to julie and i think yes. i shared this before and now yes. to meet to meet toby i'm so happy <laughs> to have met you guys and i look forward to sharing yes um to sharing Let's, you know because absolutely. we have to support each other we've got to share the good ideas we that's do. it and and I'd love to hear some from you guys because I could tell you've got some. So yeah, let's I'd like to get continue into it. to connect for yes. sure. Let's do it. Yeah, let's absolutely. Hey, all you K-12 teachers out there. Thanks for all you do. Now get out there and try some stuff.